0: It's so lovely to see you all today, a big welcome to you and a big welcome to all of those that are joining us online this morning. 2022, can you believe it? It's actually been 22 years since the millennium celebrations. Some of you think, well, I wasn't even born then, but it only seems like yesterday for some of us, doesn't it? The years go so quickly and we have to make the most of every day and every year that comes our way. Well, doing the first talk of the year always has an interesting dynamic because um, you might wonder whether I'm going to do some sort of pep talk about the year ahead and some reflection of the past year. And sometimes it can feel like a bit of a tightrope between talking about some of the challenges we face and some of the opportunities we have. But I I want this morning to not do a pep talk, I want this morning to just remind you of God's truth and God's word. And I want you to see something of the heart of God for your life this year because I am absolutely convinced that God has got great things in store for 2022. And I want to just open these up to you. But I want to open them up to you in the context of, I'm aware some of you here probably feel quite tired, battle-weary, someone described it as, it's been a long old journey, is not it, the last few years of challenge after challenge that we've faced. And uh, that's had a pervasive effect upon our sense of well-being and our freshness. And some are feeling really, really tired. Others might be feeling like the hope that you had. I remember two years ago, on this um, period of time, Some of you who are here will remember that we put the stage in the middle of the room. Do you remember that? And we sat in the round, and the theme was God's doing a new thing. Little did we know what that new thing was going to look like that year. But I remember we had one evening that we called a consecration night. And hundreds of you gathered in this room. It was packed, balcony and down here. Every seat was pretty much taken. And we rededicated on a Friday night our lives To God afresh. And there was such a sense of expectation and hope in our hearts that God was about to do something wonderful among us. And it might be that, as the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it might feel like the hope levels in your life are depleted and they're struggling to find some breathing space and some oxygen. I know others. Might be carrying anxieties. Maybe your work feels the least settled it's ever felt. Maybe your relationships are the most challenged they've ever been. Maybe your life feels more messed up now than it was two years ago. I know some people feel that their voice has lost some of its authority they feel they've got more of a squeak than a sound because it feels like the enemy has been conspiring to remove that sense of God-given authority because your confidence is low. Maybe your focus feels a bit blurred. You remember that two years ago, the buzzwords were 2020 vision. Do you remember all of those clever plays on that word as we stepped into 2020? And it might be... Be that your vision feels the most blurred it's ever felt. I get it. In fact, I feel it. I wrestle with the same thoughts. I know some of you have a vision that pastors float around on a cloud, and uh, we wear suits all day and do nothing but read the scriptures. But um, we, we live and breathe and experience the same things as everyone else, and it's challenging. I know that those of you who feel some of the ways I've described, that we are in very, very good company. Because throughout history, God has used people who feel depleted, feel at the end of themselves, feel like they're backed into a corner, and God has used them. You know, there's not been a corner of society that's been unaffected by the experience of these last few years. I, I've been reading some statistics that there are probably more pastors leaving the ministry right now because they're burnt out and fatigued and stretched and challenged by constantly readdressing and having to reshape churches over the last few years. And hope is diminishing in some hearts. None of us are Um, immune to that stuff, are we? I wonder, could we just pause a moment and just pray for pastors around the nation and vicars and priests and those who are this day bringing messages of hope to the people of God and wrestling with their own sense of hopelessness. Father, would you whisper your own prayer for them now as I pray? Father, we thank you for the shepherds, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles, Lord, we thank you for the prophets. Lord, I thank you that you've called your people to serve you and to feed your sheep. And Lord, I pray for those who feel discouraged and I pray for those who feel depleted. God, would you renew their strength? God, would you move and breathe afresh in their lives? Would there be deep refreshing that grows in their hearts and their lives In the weeks and the months ahead, would they be replenished supernaturally by you? Would you come and water their weary souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As well as pastors feeling deflated and walking away, I've been mindful that there are people that have been walking away from churches over the past few years. Maybe they're disappointed, maybe they didn't get that phone call they hoped for, maybe they feel disillusioned, maybe there's something that somebody had said and they wish they'd followed through on and they didn't. Maybe there's unprocessed hurt that's in their hearts and as a result, they're sitting at home now and they've made some conclusions and one conclusion is because most things are partly truth. And the the truth is that God doesn't live in this building, does he? And he's not been—he's not been here on his own over Christmas, thinking, "I can't wait for the people to come back." You know, he's not been sort of sat around the Christmas tree, thinking, "Oh, it'd be lovely to see people again." He's been with you, isn't he? Because he doesn't even just live in your home; he lives in our hearts and our lives. That we are the Bible describes as temples of the Spirit. Um, But some. I've taken that and said, well, I don't need, I don't need church. I don't need fellowship. I can grow on my own. I've got a Bible. I've got prayer. I've got the Spirit of God. I can grow on my own. And, you know, there's a measure of truth to that. You can grow and grow closer to Jesus on your own. And if you've not got your personal rhythms in your life, then get them. Because God doesn't just want to feed you on a Sunday. He wants to feed you daily. But there is something of an error to it as well. And that is that... um, you're not the bride of Christ we're the bride of Christ the church together the family of God you know one of the descriptions that we read throughout the New Testament is that of a family now being a family on your own is quite difficult it's easier it's easier to, um, to to be in a situation where you haven't got people to fall out with don't you agree? of course it's easier well, I haven't said that, you know, I know some people seem to fall out with themselves, um, and you know, we can do that quite easily, but there is something that simplifies it. But, you know, one of the key things about God describing the church as a family is that actually in working out our differences and our, and our variances and our idiosyncrasies and all those sort of things, that that's when we reflect Christ, by our connection together, by working it through, by dealing with our disappointments, by working through those um, moments of offense and forgiving and loving each other and releasing each other, that's how the grace of God grows in our life. And I believe that you and I need the family of God in order to be the people of God fulfilled. And, you know, I believe, and I'm coming to just an introduction um, for what I'm going to share these next few minutes, is that I believe that while it might be simpler to sit at home and to say I'm going to follow Jesus on my own, um, I believe it robs you and it robs the world of a number of things the world needs right now. The world needs the church to be collective to be together, to be anointed together, to be prophetic together, to resound with a hope-filled sound. It needs the church to come out bold, to come out courageous, to come out confident that we are a people of hope. That's what the world needs right now. It needs us to find our voice, it needs us to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? It needs the church to be anointed, to be the, the light in the dark world, to be the hope for those in our communities. That's what the world needs right now, and, and we need to come out of hiding. and I re- very much believe that this is a year when God's going to stir up the people of God to come with a very powerful prophetic voice. But, Mark, this has been a little bit of a a negative introduction. Where are you going with this? So, let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 to 10. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, right into the church at Corinth. And he says these words We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our body. The early church were pressed, perplexed, hunted down, knocked down, And suffering, but they were not crushed, despairing, abandoned, or destroyed. I've discovered this: that the enemy of our souls, who is real and is rampant in the earth, that he wants to convince us that when we are pressed, when our circumstances push against us, when the challenges press against us. That the enemy wants to convince us that we are one step away from being crushed. But between pressed and crushed, God places a firewall. And God says, this far and no further. His presence sits like a firewall so we can say, I'm pressed but I'm not crushed. The firewall of his presence is real and can be trusted. The enemy wants to convince us that when we're perplexed and we don't understand what's taking place, that that is inevitably going to result in us despairing and panicking and being aimless and not having any sense of direction about our life. The enemy wants to convince this. The perplexed, being perplexed, leads to despair. But God puts a firewall between those two things. And he says this far and no further, the firewall of his presence can be trusted. The enemy wants to convince us that when we're hunted, that we will be caught, that we will be isolated, we will be defeated, and we will be abandoned. But God puts a firewall between being hunted And being defeated. And he says to the enemy, this far and no further. The firewall of his presence is real and can be trusted. Have you tried his presence in your trials? Because his presence is real and it can be trusted. There's a story in the Old Testament that you'll be familiar with. It's a story that picks up on a theme of The nation of Israel being promised that they would have their own land. We know it as the promised land. It's a place that's a good place. A place that God had said, I have set this up for you as your inheritance. The problem was other people were living in this land. And the Israelites, following their exodus from Egypt, they wandered for many years in the wilderness And now it was time for them to take a look at the promised land. So they sent 12 spies. They wanted the spies to tell them, is this a good land? And can we take it? So these 12 spies go in and they spend some time in this place that's the land of promise. And as they go in, they see that indeed this land is a good place. They talk about it being luscious with produce and vegetation, that it's a a beautiful place. It's got lots of opportunities, that it carries lots of blessings in this land. And indeed, if we could live here, it would be a great place. How many of you have promises in your life that you know that God has said, this is a good place I'm going to bring you. This is a good thing that I'm going to lead you into. This is a good environment that I'm going to take you. This is a good truth I'm going to reveal to you. We've got those promises, I'm sure, in our lives. But 10 of the 12 spies came back and they said, while the land is beautiful and wonderful exactly as we understood it would be, the enemies, the people who live there, they are so powerful that we could never step into this land and take it. There were just two who said we can. Now, one of the things that I would love to be true for my life and for your life is that when God gives a promise that it feels like the way that's cleared between where you are and stepping into that promise is all beautiful and simple and progressive, that it feels like the closer you get to it, the more easy and wonderful it is. So I have visions of stepping into a promise and on the way of the journey of stepping into it, that there would be like a, a beautiful worship orchestra playing music in the background, building up to the crescendo of me stepping into this place. I would love there to imagine this beautiful scene of little bunny rabbits in the hedge waving at me on the way. Go and make your way to the promise mark. Go and make your way. Enjoy, enjoy. And that there we are as we approach, that there are people saying, we've been expecting you, Mark. Welcome to your promise. There's rainbows and there's sunshine and the journey is just so glorious that I step into the promise and it's wonderful. Do you know what I've found over the years? Is that between the promise given and the promised land, there are not bunny rabbits in the hedge, they're snipers. There's not rainbows on sunshine, there's storm clouds. There's not music playing glorious worship, but it feels like jaws. Duh, 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 duh. That's a bad impression, isn't it? It feels like the closer I get, the more intense the battle becomes. And these 10 spies, they saw that for what it was and they said, we can't step into it. And maybe you're feeling pressed. Maybe you're feeling perplexed. Maybe you're feeling hunted. But I want you to know, it doesn't take you further away from the promises of God. It means you're getting closer. It means that God is still on the throne. He's still faithful. He's still able to lead you into fulfillment. And I want to just bring a simple message this morning that says, do not despair. Do not fear. Be courageous, church. Be courageous because those snipers can't get you. The storms can't overwhelm you because God has said it. And if you keep walking towards it, he will fulfill his purposes. The two saw this. They understood it. They understood how the presence of God goes before them. See, the nation, they, they'd listen to the majority. They were, the the majority is not always right. The voices of negativity are not always right. They may be backed up by lots of good reasoning. But sometimes those majority voices, they resonate with some weakness in our own heart, some fears that are in there, some desire to retain comfort. And although the Israelites wanted to step into the promised land, they didn't want another battle. And so they decided to stay there, not approach there. You know, there are lots of voices of fear around at the moment. And I want to say to you, Judge, really simply, whose report are you going to believe? Because some of you need to switch the news channels off. Some of you need to remove the social media off your phones. And you need to start picking this up. You know, I, I get people write to me, and they say, "You know, it's um, you know, this is a fulfilment of what's happening in the world, and and you know, please show me in the Bible." And they've not read the scriptures. This is this is what you need to get filled with, guys—not BBC News or any other news channel or Reuters agency, or your Facebook time feed. You know, what what does it profit a man to know what your friend had for lunch? What does it profit? You, to see a selfie of them by the beach. What does it profit? And how many hours do you spend scrolling? This is what you need to be filled with. Because if you don't, you'll stay there and you won't walk towards there because you won't know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God, this year, wants us to walk this journey. And there's no sniper can take you out. There's no despair that can crush you. There's nothing that you are experiencing that will stop you from stepping into what God's got for you. But you have to walk a walk of faith. And you'll only walk a walk of faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you'll only know it when the Word of God is filling your life to overflowing, when you are able to consume this, when you're able to fill yourself with the promises of God. You see, you can't step into hearsay promises. God doesn't fulfill rumored promises. He fulfills spoken promises. And some of you are hearing rumors of promises. Other people have told you. And you need to go back to the one who says it. Because the one who says it carries the faith to fulfill it. Not the person who rumored it. Not the preacher who said it. Not the... Evangelist from another country that spoke on a YouTube video sometime, go back to the Word of God. Yes. Hallelujah. Our authority and our courage and our strength doesn't come because of what's happening in the nation. It comes because the Word of God is alive and fills His people. Hallelujah. His Word. Fire in our bones. Amen. Amen. And I want to just... I had so much I wanted to say today, but what I've I've decided to do, as Sean alluded to, is I'm just going to give you a little buffet sample of what's coming up in the next few months. Because I knew that I wasn't able to get everything out that I wanted to in one week or two weeks or even five weeks. This is going to be months of stuff that I believe God has spoken to me about wanting to do in the church. And I'm just going to give you a little buffet. If, um, if the worst thing that can happen is that you chew it and you spit it out and say, I'm not going to taste that again. Um, if that's the case, then um, one of us has failed. But I want to introduce you to some things that I sense God saying that for this theme of moving forward together, that I believe in 2022 God's calling us to do. There's three things, three areas we're going to be exploring in the next few months. The first one is loved and loving. I'm going to ask you possibly the bluntest question you've been asked all year. This is it. How much are you enjoying your relationship with Jesus? So if I ask that question about your marriage, you might be able to give me some anecdote. You might be able to say, well, actually, you know, we've had a lovely break together. It's been a lovely time and we've enjoyed being together. And, you know, we've watched, went to the cinema. We've been to watch a pantomime. We've walked on the beach. We've had conversations. And you might be able to use some of those descriptions to define something of a a well-being about how you've enjoyed being together. You might talk about, tensions and difficulties. But so often when someone asks that question about our relationship with God, how is your relationship? How are you enjoying your relationship with God? We revert often to activities that, well, I've been having my quiet time. Yeah, but your quiet time consists of you saying, I'm going to spend a quarter of an hour every morning with the Lord. And so you set your watch, and you sit there, and you start praying, and you think, have I done corporate now? I wasn't even 30 seconds. <laughs> and it feels like time stands still, because it lasts forever, and not in a good way. And yet, if you're in a, a good, healthy human relationship, if you felt that spending fifteen minutes with someone was a tough deal. You'd probably equate that to not being a very good relationship. I'll ask you the question again. How are you? How much are you enjoying your relationship with God? You See the scriptures—they present this in various volume levels of screams and shouts, and also whispers that our lives only truly find the longing of our hearts in the place of an authentic, loving relationship with the Lord. It's the only place you'll be satisfied. God's not given the other things of our life to satisfy us. They all point to being satisfied in Christ. Our friendships, our relationships the blessings of this world, they all point to Christ. Because the scripture says, what a man or woman desires above all else is unfailing love, and you only find that in God. Do you know how loved you are? Even though you spend that quarter of an hour just fidgety and struggling to keep your concentration and thinking about the emails you've got to answer and think about the activities of the day ahead and you're trying to rationalize how you should be able to spend more time with God, but you struggle with it. Do you know that even in the middle of that, oh, God loves you so much. Hallelujah. He's not angry with you. On, He's, not, He's not ashamed of you. On, He's head over heels in love with you. His heart reaches to you. He loves it. He loves you. You probably know how messed up you are. You probably know how far you fall short of your own standards, never mind God's. But do you know you're so loved? You bring so much joy to God. If you don't know that you're loved immeasurably, unconditionally, it will make a difference to how you live your life. Your Christian life will be about performance. Your prayers will be the equivalent of when our kids were younger, we would have a sticker chart on the fridge. And when they did good things, they got a star that went on the fridge. And when they didn't do good things, they did not get a star. When you don't know that you are loved unconditionally and immeasurably, your prayer time and your Bible reading time becomes a way of earning a sticker. It becomes a performance. But when you know that you're loved, you're not doing it for stickers. You're doing it for delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. And in the months ahead, we're going to be engaging in how loved we are and how loving we can be. The second theme we're going to look at in the months ahead is healed and healing. You're broken. It's a bit blunt, Mark. Let me help it. I'm broken. We are broken. See, never mind catching COVID. We've been breathing in the toxins of brokenness from this world from the day we emerge from our mother's wombs and it's caused us to be broken and dysfunctional we are all struggling with some level of brokenness in our lives we are all broken and we walk around in our brokenness like as if it's normal we just come to terms with it and just say well this is who i am i'm angry I've got self-image issues. I've got struggles. I've got insecurities. It's just part of me. I just just take it or leave it. I am who I am. And it becomes the new normal. The old normal. The new normal says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And the old has gone and the new has come. God, I believe, is calling time on some of your idiosyncrasies on some of your brokenness. He's calling time on some of your damage. He's calling time on some of those things that you've limped with in your life. He's calling time on the anger you've been unable to control. He's calling time on your insecurities. He's calling time on your fears. He's calling time on your sexual brokenness. He's calling time... And I believe we're about to see a river of mercy of healing flowing through the body of Christ, bringing healing and wholeness and hope and life because we can't offer healing to the world while we're broken and damaged. We have to allow the river to flow through us before it touches the lives of others. And I believe that there's going to be an outpouring. This is not just a... It's so lovely to see you all today. A big welcome to you and a big welcome to all of those that are joining us online this morning. 2022, can you believe it? It's actually been 22 years since the Millennium Celebrations. Some of you think, well, I wasn't even born then, but it only seems like yesterday for some of us, doesn't it? The years go so quickly, and we have to make the most of every day and every year that comes our way. Well, doing the first talk of the year always has an interesting dynamic, because Um, you might wonder whether I'm going to do some sort of pep talk about the year ahead and some reflection of the past year. And sometimes it can feel like a bit of a tightrope between talking about some of the challenges we face and some of the opportunities we have. But I I want this morning to not do a pep talk. I want this morning to just remind you of God's truth and God's word. And I want you to see something of the heart of God for your life this year, because I am absolutely convinced that God has got great things in store for two thousand and twenty two and I want to just open these up to you, but I want to open them up to you in the context of i 'm aware some of you here probably feel quite tired battle weary someone described it as it 's been a long old journey isn 't it the last few years of challenge after challenge that we 've faced, and uh, that 's had a pervasive effect upon our sense of well-being and our freshness and some are feeling really really tired others might be feeling like the hope that you had I remember two years ago on this um, period of time some of you who were here will remember that we put the stage in the middle of the room do you remember that and we sat in the round And the theme was, God's doing a new thing. Little did we know what that new thing was going to look like that year. But I remember we had one evening that we called a consecration night. And hundreds of you gathered in this room. It was packed. Balcony and down here, every seat was pretty much taken. And we rededicated on a Friday night our lives to God afresh. And there was such a sense of expectation and hope in our hearts that God was about to do something wonderful among us. And it might be that, as the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it might feel like the hope levels in your life are depleted and they're struggling to find some breathing space and some oxygen. I know others might be carrying anxieties Maybe your work feels the least settled it's ever felt. Maybe your relationships are the most challenged they've ever been. Maybe your life feels more messed up now than it was two years ago. I know some people feel that their voice has lost some of its authority They feel they've got more of a squeak than a sound because it feels like the enemy has been conspiring to remove that sense of God-given authority because your confidence is low. Maybe your focus feels a bit blurred. You remember that two years ago, the buzzwords were 2020 vision. Do you remember all of those clever plays on that word as we stepped into 2020? And it might be that your vision feels the most blurred It's ever felt. I get it. In fact, I feel it. I wrestle with the same thoughts. I know some of you have a vision that pastors float around on a cloud and uh, we wear suits all day and do nothing but read the scriptures. But um, we, we live and breathe and experience the same things as everyone else. And it's challenging. I know that those of you who feel Some of the ways I've described that we are in very, very good company. Because throughout history, God has used people who feel depleted, feel at the end of themselves, feel like they're backed into a corner, and God has used them. You know, there's not been a corner of society that's been unaffected by the experience of these last few years. I've been reading some statistics that there are probably more pastors leaving the ministry right now because they're burnt out and fatigued and stretched and challenged by constantly readdressing and having to reshape churches over the last few years. And hope is diminishing in some hearts. None of us are um, immune to that stuff, are we? I wonder, could we just pause a moment and just pray for pastors around the nation and vicars and priests and those who are this day bringing messages of hope to the people of God and wrestling with their own sense of hopelessness. Father, would you whisper your own prayer for them now as I pray? Father, we thank you for the shepherds, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles. Lord, we thank you for the prophets. Lord, I thank you that you've called your people to serve you and to feed your sheep. And Lord, I pray for those who feel discouraged and I pray for those who feel depleted. God, would you renew their strength? God, would you move and breathe afresh in their lives? Would there be deep refreshing that grows in their hearts and their lives In the weeks and the months ahead, would they be replenished supernaturally by you? Would you come and water their weary souls, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As well as pastors feeling deflated and walking away, I've been mindful that there are people that have been walking away from churches over the past few years. Maybe they're disappointed, maybe they didn't get that phone call they hoped for, maybe they feel disillusioned, maybe there's something that somebody had said and they wished they'd followed through on and they didn't. Maybe there's unprocessed hurt that's in their hearts and as a result, they're sitting at home now and they've made some conclusions and one conclusion is because most things are partly truth. Um, And the and the truth is that God doesn't live in this building, does he? And he's not been he's not been here on his own over Christmas, thinking I can't wait for the people to come back. You know, he's not been sort of sat around the Christmas tree, thinking, oh, I'd be lovely to see people again. He's been with you, isn't he? Because he doesn't even just live in your home; he lives in our hearts and our lives. That we are the Bible describes as temples of the Spirit. Um, But some have taken that and said, well, I don't need, I don't need church, I don't need fellowship, I can grow on my own, I've got a Bible, I've got prayer, I've got the Spirit of God, I can grow on my own. And, you know, there's a measure of truth to that. You can grow and grow closer to Jesus on your own, and if you've not got your personal rhythms in your life, then get them, because God doesn't just want to feed you on a Sunday, he wants to feed you daily. But there is something of an error to it as well, and that is that, um, you're not the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, the church, that together, the family of God. You know, one of the descriptions that we read throughout the New Testament is that of a family. Now, being a family on your own is quite difficult. It's easier. It's easier to, um, to, to be in a situation where you haven't got people to fall out with. Don't you agree? Of course it's easier. Well, I haven't said that, you know. I know some people seem to fall out with themselves, um, and you know we can do that quite easily. But there is something that simplifies it. But you know, one of the key things about God describing the church as a family is that actually, in working out our differences and our and our variances and our idiosyncrasies and all those sort of things, that that's when we reflect Christ. By our connection together, by working it through, by dealing with our disappointments, by working through those um, moments of offense and forgiving and loving each other and releasing each other, that's how the grace of God grows in our life. And I believe that you and I need the family of God in order to be the people of God fulfilled. And, you know, I believe, and coming to just an introduction um, for what I'm going to share these next few minutes, is that I believe that while it might be simpler to sit at home and to say, I'm going to follow Jesus on my own, um, I believe it robs you and it robs the world of a number of things the world needs right now. The world needs the church to be collective, to be together together, To be anointed together, to be prophetic together, to resound with a hope filled sound. It needs the church to come out bold, to come out courageous, to come out confident that we are a people of hope. That's what the world needs right now. It needs us to find our voice. It needs us to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? It needs the church to be anointed, to be the, the light in the dark world, to be the hope for those in our communities. That's what the world needs right now, and, and we need to come out of hiding. and I re- very much believe that this is a year when God's going to stir up the people of God to come with a very powerful prophetic voice. But, Mark, this has been a little bit of a a negative introduction. Where are you going with this? So, let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 to 10. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth. And he says these words We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our body. The early church were pressed, perplexed, hunted down, knocked down, And suffering, but they were not crushed, despairing, abandoned, or destroyed. I've discovered this: that the enemy of our souls, who is real and is rampant in the earth, that he wants to convince us that when we are pressed, when our circumstances push against us, when the challenges press against us. That the enemy wants to convince us that we are one step away from being crushed. But between pressed and crushed, God places a firewall. And God says, this far and no further. His presence sits like a firewall so we can say, I'm pressed but I'm not crushed. The firewall of his presence is real and can be trusted. The enemy wants to convince us that when we're perplexed and we don't understand what's taking place, that that is inevitably going to result in us despairing and panicking and being aimless and not having any sense of direction about our life. The enemy wants to convince us that perplexed, being perplexed leads to despair. But God puts a firewall between those two things. And he says this far and no further, the firewall of his presence can be trusted. The enemy wants to convince us that when we're hunted, that we will be caught, that we will be isolated, we will be defeated, and we will be abandoned. But God puts a firewall between being hunted and being defeated And he says to the enemy, this far and no further. The firewall of his presence is real and can be trusted. Have you tried his presence in your trials? Because his presence is real and it can be trusted. There's a story in the Old Testament that you'll be familiar with. It's a story that picks up on a theme of The nation of Israel being promised that they would have their own land. We know it as the promised land. It's a place that's a good place. A place that God had said, I have set this up for you as your inheritance. The problem was other people were living in this land. And the Israelites, following their exodus from Egypt, they wandered for many years in the wilderness And now it was time for them to take a look at the promised land. So they sent 12 spies. They wanted the spies to tell them, is this a good land? And can we take it? So these 12 spies go in and they spend some time in this place that's the land of promise. And as they go in, they see that indeed this land is a good place. They talk about it being luscious with produce and vegetation, that it's a a beautiful place. It's got lots of opportunities, that it carries lots of blessings in this land. And indeed, if we could live here, it would be a great place. How many of you have promises in your life that you know that God has said, this is a good place I'm going to bring you. This is a good thing that I'm going to lead you into. This is a good environment that I'm going to take you. This is a good truth I'm going to reveal to you. We've got those promises, I'm sure, in our lives. But 10 of the 12 spies came back, and they said, while the land is beautiful and wonderful, exactly as we understood it would be, the enemies, the people who live there, they are so powerful that we could never step into this land and take it. There were just two who said we can Now, one of the things that I would love to be true for my life and for your life is that when God gives a promise, that it feels like the way that's cleared between where you are and stepping into that promise is all beautiful and simple and progressive. That it feels like the closer you get to it, the more easy and wonderful it is. So I have visions of stepping into a promise And on the way of the journey of stepping into it, that there would be like a a beautiful worship orchestra playing music in the background, building up to the crescendo of me stepping into this place. I would love there to imagine this beautiful scene of little bunny rabbits in the hedge waving at me on the way. Go and make your way to the promised mark. Go and make your way. Enjoy, enjoy. And that there we are as we approach, that there are people saying, we've been expecting you, Mark. Welcome to your promise. There's rainbows, and there's sunshine, and the journey is just so glorious that I step into the promise, and it's wonderful. Do you know what I've found over the years? Is that between the promise given and the promised land, there are not bunny rabbits in the hedge, they're snipers. There's not rainbows on sunshine, there's storm clouds. There's not music playing glorious worship, but it feels like jaws. Duh, 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 duh. That's a bad impression, isn't it? It feels like the closer I get, the more intense the battle becomes. And these 10 spies, they saw that for what it was, and they said, we can't step into it. And maybe you're feeling pressed. Maybe you're feeling perplexed. Maybe you're feeling hunted. But I want you to know, it doesn't take you further away from the promises of God. It means you're getting closer. It means that God is still on the throne. He's still faithful. He's still able to lead you into fulfillment. And I want to just bring a simple message this morning that says, do not despair. Do not fear. Be courageous, church. Be courageous because those snipers can't get you. The storms can't overwhelm you because God has said it. And if you keep walking towards it, he will fulfill his purposes. The two saw this. They understood it. They understood how the presence of God goes before them. See, the nation, they, they'd listen to the majority. They were, the the majority is not always right. Uh-huh. Yeah. The voices of negativity are not always right. They may be backed up by lots of good reasoning, but sometimes those majority voices, they resonate with some weakness in our own hearts, some fears that are in there, some desire to retain comfort. And although the Israelites wanted to step into the promised land, they didn't want another battle. And so they decided to stay there, not approach there. You know, there are lots of voices of fear around at the moment. And I want to say to you, church, really simply, whose report are you going to believe? Because some of you need to switch the news channels off. Some of you need to remove the social media off your phones. And you need to start picking this up. You know, I, I get people write to me and they say, you know, it's, um, you know, this is a fulfillment of what's happening in the world. And, and, and I, you know, please show me in the Bible. And, and they've not read the scriptures. This is, this is what you need to get filled with, guys. Not BBC News or any other news channel or Reuters agency or your Facebook time feed. You know, what, what does it profit a man to know what your friend had for lunch? On, what does it profit you to see a selfie of them by the beach what does it profit and how many hours do you spend scrolling this is what you need to be filled with because if you don't you'll stay there and you won't walk towards there because you won't know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world god this year wants us to walk this journey and there's no sniper can take you out. There's no despair that can crush you. There's nothing that you are experiencing that will stop you from stepping into what God's got for you. But you have to walk a walk of faith. And you'll only walk a walk of faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you'll only know it when the Word of God is filling your life to overflowing, when you are able to consume this, when you're able to fill yourself with the promises of God. You see, you can't step into hearsay promises. God doesn't fulfill rumored promises. He fulfills spoken promises. And some of you are hearing rumors of promises. Other people have told you. And you need to go back to the one who says it. Because the one who says it carries the faith to fulfill it. Not the person who rumored it. Not the preacher who said it. Not the evangelists from another country that spoke on a YouTube video sometime, go back to the Word of God. Yes. Our authority and our courage and our strength doesn't come because of what's happening in the nation. It comes because the Word of God is alive and fills His people. Hallelujah. His Word. Fire in our bones. Amen. Hallelujah. Fire in our bones. And I want to just... I had so much I wanted to say today, but what I've I've decided to do, as Sean alluded to, is I'm just going to give you a little buffet sample of what's coming up in the next few months, because I knew that I wasn't able to get everything out that I wanted to in one week or two weeks or even five weeks. This is going to be months of stuff that I believe God has spoken to me about wanting to do in the church. And I'm just going to give you a little buffet. If, um, if the worst thing that can happen is that you chew it and you spit it out and say, I'm not going to taste that again. Um, if that's the case, then um, one of us has failed. But I want to introduce you to some things that I sense God saying that for this theme of moving forward together, that I believe in 2022 God's calling us to do. There's three things. Three areas we're going to be exploring in the next few months. The first one is loved and loving. I'm going to ask you possibly the bluntest question you've been asked all year. This is it. How much are you enjoying your relationship with Jesus? If I ask that question about your marriage, you might be able to give me some anecdote. You might be able to say, well, actually, you know, we've had a lovely break together. It's been a lovely time and we've enjoyed being together. And, you know, we've watched, went to the cinema. We've been to watch a pantomime. We've walked on the beach. We've had conversations. And you might be able to use some of those descriptions to define something of a a well-being about how you've enjoyed being together. You might talk about, tensions and difficulties. But so often when someone asks that question about our relationship with God, how's your relationship? How are you enjoying your relationship with God? We revert often to activities that, well, I've been having my quiet time. Yeah, but your quiet time consists of you saying, I'm going to spend a quarter of an hour every morning with the Lord." And so you set your watch, and you sit there, and you start praying, and you think, have I done quarter now? an hour? It was not even 30 seconds. <laughs> and it feels like time stands still, because it lasts forever, and not in a good way. And yet, if you're in a, a good, healthy human relationship, if you felt that spending 15 minutes with someone was a tough deal, you'd probably equate that to not being a very good relationship. i ask you the question again. How, are you, how much are you enjoying your relationship with God? You see, the scriptures, they present this in various volume levels of screams and shouts and also Whispers that our lives only truly find the longing of our hearts in the place of an authentic, loving relationship with the Lord. It's the only place you would be satisfied. Amen. Amen. God's not given the other things of our life to satisfy us. They all point to being satisfied in Christ. Our friendships, our relationships the blessings of this world, they all point to Christ. Because the scripture says, what a man or woman desires above all else is unfailing love, and you only find that in God. Do you know how loved you are? Even though you spend that quarter of an hour just fidgety and struggling to keep your concentration and thinking about the emails you've got to answer and think about the activities of the day ahead and you're trying to rationalize how you should be able to spend more time with God but you struggle with it, do you know that even in the middle of that, God loves you so much? He's not angry with you. He's not not ashamed of you. He's head over heels in love with you. His heart reaches to you. He loves it. He loves you. You probably know how messed up you are. You probably know how far you fall short of your own standards, never mind God's. But do you know you're so loved? You bring so much joy to God. If you don't know that you're loved immeasurably, unconditionally, it will make a difference to how you live your life. Your Christian life will be about performance. Your prayers will be the equivalent of when our kids were younger, we would have a sticker chart on the fridge. And when they did good things, they got a star that went on the fridge. And when they didn't do good things, they did not get a star. When you don't know that you are loved unconditionally and immeasurably, your prayer time and your Bible reading time becomes a way of earning a sticker. It becomes a performance. But when you know that you're loved, you're not doing it for stickers. You're doing it for delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. And in the months ahead, we're going to be engaging in how loved we are and how loving we can be. The second theme we're going to look at in the months ahead is healed and healing. You're broken. It's a bit blunt, Mark. Let me help it. I'm broken. We are broken. See, never mind catching COVID. We've been breathing in the toxins of brokenness from this world from the day we emerge from our mother's wombs and it's caused us to be broken and dysfunctional we are all struggling with some level of brokenness in our lives we are all broken and we walk around in our brokenness like as if it's normal we just come to terms with it and just say well this is who i am i'm angry I've got self-image issues. I've got struggles. I've got insecurities. It's just part of me. I just, just take it or leave it. I am who I am. And it becomes the new normal. The old normal. The new normal says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And the old has gone and the new has come. God, I believe, is calling time on some of your idiosyncrasies on some of your brokenness. He's calling time on some of your damage. He's calling time on some of those things that you've limped with in your life. He's calling time on the anger you've been unable to control. He's calling time on your insecurities. He's calling time on your fears. He's calling time on your sexual brokenness. He's calling time. And I believe we're about to see a river of mercy of healing flowing through the body of Christ, bringing healing and wholeness and hope and life because we can't offer healing to the world while we're broken and damaged. We have to allow the river to flow through us before it touches the lives of others. And I believe that there's going to be an outpouring. This is not just a theme. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is going to grab a hold of some of those emotional dysfunctions in our life, some of those things beneath the surface. See, churches are meant to be rivers of life, rivers of healing, and instead we've turned them into stages of, of uh, Academy Award performances. We've acted out wholeness and well-being. And inside, we've been broken and damaged, and we've done a better job at leading people to act in school than we have to lead them to healing waters. And I believe that God is saying time. Healing is coming. In fact, James, in the New Testament, he wrote, James 5, he said, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's a really powerful and brave thing. Basically, James is saying you need to take off your masks, that you've got it all sorted. You need to lay down the identity that people have become so synonymous with the acted out you, and they don't know the real you, and your repentance takes away the act. It reveals your heart and says, I need healing. And the promise is that you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous, unpretentious, unmasked, unacted man or woman is powerful and effective. Sometimes we've got too many actors praying and too many actresses praying. And we, and our righteousness is like our sticker charts and we think if we fast more, if we pray more, we'll have more stickers and we'll be more righteous, we'll have be more effective in prayer but that's not what happens. What happens is when we lay down our pretense, when we take our sticker charts off the wall, when we take our masks down, when we stop pretending we're someone that we're not and we expose our hearts vulnerably to the Lord and to the community of God's people, that's when righteousness comes and that's when God's power is revealed and released to his people. And this healing out there that needs to happen and the stakes are really high. And if we don't step into this, they 'll never experience it in our fragmented, broken world, the polarized communities of people who shout things across social media, caverns of they just shout things to each other they don 't meet they don 't they don't, um, talk it through they don 't agree uh, to disagree nicely. they just shout and rant and they 're broken and they're angry and they're lost and they're hurting and the church is meant to be a prophetic healing community that brings the strands of our communities together racism is not just about saying bad things about someone who's got a different skin color to you god wants to combine our hearts together to bring all the prejudices to the surface and to bring healing into our hearts it's not just about some statement but it's about healed hearts And I believe God's calling time. Finally, the third theme we're going to be looking at in the months ahead is compelled and compelling. Do you know the world is neither put off or attracted to our style of worship on a Sunday? This is not our selling point. Now, people will have preferences. Some people will say, you know, I I find this a bit irreverent. It feels a bit joyful it feels like it's not austere enough and okay they'll have their preferences and others then will go into a more ancient building and they will say I oh, find you a bit quiet and a bit intimidating so people do have their preferences but no one's going to make a decision to fall in love with Jesus based on what we do when we meet together people give their lives to Jesus when they see Jesus not when they see what we do but they see who he is Thomas Merton was an American Trappist monk. He authored numerous books in the 1940s, 1950s, and 60s. And in his autobiography, which he wrote in 1948, he tells a story of an occasion where he met a Hindu who was living a fairly monastic life himself. And in their conversation, they discussed the effectiveness of Christian missionaries in South Asia. And the Hindu said you've not been effective Christians have not really set this part of the world alight with their message and they discussed some of the reasons why this might be the case and the Hindu man said the main reason was that your Christian missionaries just weren't holy enough As Thomas Merton thought about that conversation, he concluded, this is what he said, the Hindus are not looking for us to send them men who will build schools and hospitals, although those things are good and useful in themselves. But they want to know if we have any saints to send them. They were looking for people who could authentically model a new way of living. They were looking for people who would show them the way of Jesus bit of a gear change here, but there's a young man on social media who's made a bit of a name for himself over the last couple of years. It's quite an unusual sort of way that he's done it really, and he's got millions of people following him on TikTok and Instagram. His name is Fr- France, is it Francois, let me read his name, Francis Bourgeois. Some of you might follow him. Francis Bourgeois is passionate about trains and this passion for trains has given him millions of followers I suspect it's probably become his full-time work now what does he do he goes to a platform edge or he goes to a field by the side of a train track or he goes to a bridge and he videos himself watching the trains go by You're all really excited about this, I can tell. (laughs) Now, I have to make a confession to you. I'm not the slightest bit interested in trains. Mm -hmm. I have no desire to um, go and see them whittle past on a train track. But I do follow this guy on social media. And there's a reason why I follow him and millions of other people follow him. And it's not to do with trains. It's to do with the joy... That we see from him enjoying his passion, because when the trains go past, he laughs, like he really laughs. The world could be in turmoil, but the train's gone past, and he's laughing. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Look at that! And he's running after this train, laughing. And the train beeps a horn, and he gets him more excited. And the joy of him. Seeing his passion overflowing. It's amazing. If you read the comments, people say, you're the most refreshing thing on social media. I love watching your videos. And it's not to do with the trains. It's to do with his passion. Now, after watching the videos, I've got no more interested in following trains. But it did get me asking the question, how many people would follow us because of our joy and our passion? For Jesus. How excited do we get? How honestly, not on a Sunday morning. You know, God, help us to not be a church that requires the worship leader to sing your favorite song in order to get you excited. God, help us to not be the church that requires two or three people to get up and share some testimonies before you suddenly remember that God's good again. God, may that not be the sort of church that may may joy not just come in those moments, but I pray that when you're in your office, that when you're on your next video call, and you just laugh, and just say, whoa. And people say, what are you laughing at? say, God, he's just amazing. But don't you realize the sales figures are down this month? Yes, but God is amazing. Don't you realize that, The world is falling apart, yes, but God is amazing. That's the passion the world needs to see in the church. That would cause some tongues to wag in your office, wouldn't it? In your university, in your college class. Oh, have you seen them? They keep laughing. And when I ask them why they're laughing, they say it's because God is amazing. You know, the Bible describes that as the joy of the Lord being your strength. That I remember, it doesn't matter how many clouds, it doesn't matter how pressed I am, it doesn't matter how chaste and hunted I am, it doesn't matter those things, because the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I can laugh, because His presence is with me. The Apostle Paul, again writing to the church in Corinth, He said these words, maybe the band could join me on the stage as we read this. He said, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. we are going to become more compelled and more compelling this year there are people in our communities that are waiting for you to come alive with passion they are waiting for the joy of the lord to be evidenced in your life they will follow that joy they will be inquisitive of that joy this year we will plant churches But I don't want to plant congregations and programs. I want to plant passionate communities of people who are on fire with the joy of the Lord in their life. That's what will cause the gospel message to become compelling in our communities. So, in the months ahead, we're going to move towards, we're going to move forward together as we journey to being loved and loving, healed and healing. Compelled and compelling let's stand together and if on your way in if you picked up a communion cup if you would just hold that in your hand as well because in response to devoting our life to this new year to be in people of faith not people of despair we're going to share this together in just a moment before we do that There are two declarations I'd like to invite you to say after me. Let me read them to you, and then I'm gonna ask you to repeat them if you feel these are declarations you can make. The first declaration is this. Lord, I give you permission to do whatever you want to do in my life this year. Can you say that? The second declaration I'm gonna say together in a moment is I choose to move forward together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you can say that first declaration, then would you repeat after me with confidence and with conviction. Lord, I give you permission to do whatever you want to do in my life this year. Now, maybe there are some areas that already the Spirit of God is speaking to you about. Things that He's going to help at work in response to that declaration and prayer. Say, yes, Lord, even those things, I give you permission. And then the second declaration You can say this, say it after me. I choose to move forward together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, our Lord Jesus, all night He was betrayed. He took the bread and He broke it. This was foretelling of the covenant he was making as his body was going to be hung upon the cross and as his blood was shed for us this is his reminder this is the defining moment that made the new all possible and we center our lives upon the cross not upon our own righteousness or our own sticker charts but upon the finished work of Jesus Let's take the bread together. After supper, Jesus took the cup. So this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness, the removal of all shame. forgiveness of all sin if anyone is in Christ they are brand new the old is gone as we take this at the start of this new year we thank you for the new us not just the new year may our minds and our hearts be framed by heaven's purpose as we pray in Jesus name let's take this together